A number of years ago, through some circumstances that are not at all important anymore, I was given the privilege to be part of a large concert and conference type event that took place in another part of the country. I didn't really belong there at this event based on my credentials or my pedigree or contributions that I might make at the event. But because I knew the guy who created the event, I was given a VIP all access pass. So there I was backstage eating with all of these famous musicians and brilliant speakers that were part of the event. I sat on the dressing room couches, sipping mineral water and eating green M&Ms and the whole thing just like I was a VIP. Like I said, I had no business being there. But the reason the security guards didn't throw me out was not because I was part of the show or that I had paid a huge fee for a backstage pass or that I was a big celebrity or that I was even part of the catering crew. It was because I was a personal friend of the creator of the event and he had given me that all access pass. We're continuing our study through the letter of 1 John today. And we're over in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. In the middle of this life that we're living that is filled with so much uncertainty, especially in the days we're living now, there is the very certain declaration that life is found in Jesus Christ. Real, full, amazing, eternal, secure life. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, or abundant, overflowing, rich, and satisfying, super, everlasting life. 1 John 5, verse 6, it says, This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by blood, but by water and blood. Well, what's John talking about here? What does he mean by water and blood? John is using the word water to symbolically refer to the baptism of Jesus Christ and as a general reference to his life among us as a man. The baptism of Jesus, it marked the beginning of his formal ministry as a Messiah. You might remember, like in Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. John, he uses the word blood in this passage to symbolically refer to the death of of Jesus Christ when he was crucified on a Roman cross. It helps us to understand why John is focusing in on these two points in the life of Jesus if we know a little bit about the false teaching that was being introduced into the churches that John was writing to. You might remember, we talk, we've talked about this a couple of other times, but the false teachers, they were saying that the Christ Spirit, which was God, descended upon the human being, Jesus, at his baptism, and then the Spirit of Christ traveled along with him through his earthly ministry, 
And then the Christ Spirit left the man Jesus just before his death on the cross. They claimed that the Christ, the God part, never died. Only the man, Jesus, died. Or to use John's terminology here, they taught that the Christ came through water, but not through blood. Their ideas completely missed the point, though, of what the Christ was all about, what God was accomplishing through the Christ for us. See, it wouldn't do us much good for God to have ridden along with us through life for a while in the person of Jesus, and then when it came time to face the most daunting trial of all, death, God then skipped out and he went back to heaven, leaving the man Jesus to go through it all alone. But that's what they were teaching, essentially. See, we need far more than a life coach. We need much more than someone giving us good advice about how to manage our life and keep ourselves out of trouble. We need to be saved from our sin and God's judgment against our sin. We need forgiveness. We need atonement. We need a new future. We need a Savior. We might wonder how these false teachings that the church was facing some 2,000 years ago could have any relevance for us today, but many of the same basic problems that the church faced then, the church faces in our day too. It's unfortunate that some churches in our own day don't teach the theology and the doctrine of the Christian faith. They instead spend all their time teaching life skills, how to have a good marriage, how to raise children, how to be a good employee, how to manage your money. These kinds of things are obviously helpful, but being a good husband, being a good parent, keeping yourself out of debt is not going to atone for your sins and remove your guilt before God and gain you entrance into heaven adopted as God's child. Christianity does indeed provide some good advice for managing our life. But that's not the heart of Christianity. If we don't have our faith firmly planted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then what do we have? We are not saved people. We are not born again. We are not people who have been brought to life by the Spirit and the power of God. There are a lot of great resources available for acquiring life skills. But there's only one place in this whole world where, where we can receive salvation, and that's in Jesus Christ. To take the life coach part of Jesus without the Savior part of Jesus is like saying that Jesus came by water only and not by blood and by water. There are many people who will acknowledge Jesus was a great person who lived an exemplary life. But these same people, they're not ready to say he is God the Son, come in human flesh, entered our world as our Savior, and died on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. There's a famous quote by C.S. Lewis, which I think serves as an effective rebuttal for that thinking. You 
maybe heard it before. But he was writing, he said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him and his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. John refutes the false teachers by stating that the Christ came not only by water, but by water and by blood. The same Jesus Christ who was baptized was also crucified. Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, was born, lived, died, and was resurrected on the third day. Referring to the ideas of the false teachers, there were not two separate beings who came together for a time and then separated again at the death of the man Jesus. Jesus Christ is a single person, a single being, who is both fully God and fully human. We don't completely understand what is referred to as the hypostatic union. That's the big theological term. This amazing and mysterious joining of God and human into a single person, Jesus Christ. But we know it must be true for the salvation of humanity to have been accomplished. You see, only a human being could die for a human being to accomplish our redemption. An animal could not die for us. Under the old covenant of the Jewish religion, animals were sacrificed for the sins of the people. Those sacrifices were not permanent and lasting, though. They had to be repeated again and again. They pointed to the perfect, complete, once-for-all sacrifice that was coming in Jesus Christ. Only a human being could die for human beings. But in order for that human being to be an acceptable sacrifice before holy God, that human being had to be perfect, sinless, absolutely innocent, and undeserving of the punishment and the death that comes as a result of sin. No mere human being could ever satisfy those conditions and requirements, though, could they? I mean, we're all born into sin and we all live in sin. In order to rescue us, God himself became a human being. He was born of the Virgin Mary, mysteriously uniting God with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. And this very special and unique human being, perfect, innocent, sinless, gave himself as a sacrifice for the whole human race. Only a human being could die for us. Only God could have accomplished it. God provided himself in the person of Jesus Christ as the perfect and adequate sacrifice for our sins. 
God judged the sin of humanity in Himself, in the person of Jesus Christ. On the cross, God Himself overcame death for humanity in the person of Jesus to give us eternal life. It's one of the most amazing, if not the most amazing and glorious mysteries in the universe that's revealed in Jesus Christ. No wonder the very angels of heaven long to look into these things, it says. John writes, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. He did not come to be a life coach. He came to die for us, to rescue us from the fate we were under and to give us a new future with him. The second part of verse 6 says, And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. The Holy Spirit testifies or bears witness about Jesus Christ and what God has accomplished through Him. It says, Because the Spirit is the truth. You know, when a witness takes the stand in court, for example, they swear an oath to tell the truth, don't they? The classic courtroom scene has the court official come up instructing the witness to place their hand on a Bible and then say, I do solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Well, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't have to swear an oath to tell the truth. He is the truth. He embodies truth. What he says is always and only the truth. The Holy Spirit is prominent throughout John's letter as the one declaring the truth to us. The Holy Spirit has been given to believers as an internal witness of the truth of the gospel. 1 John 2.20 But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. 1 John 3.24 And this is how we know that He, God, lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us, 1 John 4.13. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. The voice of the Holy Spirit's testimony can also be heard in the words of the Scripture as the one who spoke through the prophets about the Messiah and God's salvation that would be through Him. Well, verse 7, John continues... He says, for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. So all three, he says, the Spirit, the water, and the blood testify of the truth about Jesus of Nazareth being the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior. The foretelling of the coming Messiah, the way Jesus lived, the way Jesus died, the way Jesus was resurrected, the occurrences that followed his death and resurrection, the Spirit's presence in the changed lives of His followers, all testify, all bear witness that Jesus is the Christ and in Him is found life. Verse 9, We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. He says, we accept human testimony. The, the testimony of credible human beings is commonly accepted when we are seeking to determine the truth about something. 
But, he says, God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God which he has given about his son. John is saying, if we accept the testimony of human beings, how much more readily should we accept the testimony of God? There are many, including John himself, who have testified to the truth about Jesus Christ being the Son of God. The opening words of John's letter here, for example, he wrote this, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, the life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John says that a far more certain testimony than his own and that of others is the testimony of God. Human beings are not always truthful, are they? Human beings can forget. Human beings have a limited view of things, making it possible to misinterpret what we see. God, on the other hand, though, he never lies. He never forgets. He has full and complete understanding of all things. His testimony is peerless. It can always be trusted. Verse 10, he said, Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. In other words, if we don't believe what God says about Jesus, then we are accusing God of lying. That's what John is saying here. What is this testimony that God the Father is making, that God the Holy Spirit is making, that the water and the blood of Jesus are making, that John and others are making? John answers that question for us in the next two verses, in verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. This is it. This is what God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the life and death of Jesus Christ, John and others all testify of, all affirm as true. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, Jesus Christ. It says God has given us eternal life. It's not something that we earn as a reward for good behavior. It's a gift from God given to those who embrace his Son as their Savior. It says, and this life is is in His Son. This life is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the source of eternal life for us. Whoever has the Son has life. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said about Himself, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in Me will live even though they die and Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. It says, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Seeking to gain eternal life by any other means other than through the Son of God is futility. Life. What is this life that's being talked about? It's referred to as eternal life in verse 11. The Greek word translated into English as eternal 
refers to an unlimited duration of time, perpetual, abiding, forever. It's the kind of life that God has. God is eternal. This is the life we're given when we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and we're born again. It's the spiritual life that springs up in us and it grows and it transforms us from the inside out. It's the life that we receive when we are adopted as children of God. It's the life that we are given which will go on forever and ever with God. It's the full, complete, rich, super, abundant, overflowing, never-ending life that Jesus promised us in John 10.10, which we read earlier. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to, to the full or abundant, overflowing, rich, and satisfying, super, everlasting life. Well, in closing, I, I have an important question to ask. Do you have the Son of God? It's really important that we each wrestle with this question and answer it for ourselves because it says whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Having the Son of God means that you have embraced the testimony about Jesus Christ as true and have put your faith in Him as your Savior and Lord. 1 John 5.1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. It all revolves around Jesus Christ. If you have Him, you have everything. If you don't have Him, you have nothing beyond this life. Do you remember the story I told you at the beginning about the all-access pass that I was given to that event? I didn't earn that pass. I didn't pay for that pass. I wasn't given entry into the backstage area because of my talent or my fame. I was given entry because I knew the creator of the event. And in a similar way, we're given access into eternal life by knowing the Creator with a capital C. We have eternal life if we have Jesus Christ. He is our all-access pass. Well, how do we start a new life with Jesus Christ? We acknowledge to God that you've sinned against Him and others Ask Him to forgive you, knowing that the death of Jesus on the cross was a sacrifice for your sins. Ask Jesus to come into your life and begin to change you into this person that He wants you to be. And commit your life to following Him, learning about Him and what He taught. You will have begun a new life with the Son. The last two Verses that we looked at today, verses 11 and 12, are verses that many Christians have committed to memory as a precious truth to remind them when doubts creep in over their heads, or over their hearts, I mean. At the very bedrock of your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is not your behavior that determines your fate before God. It's not your Bible reading or your prayer life or your intellectual sophistication or how nice you have been. 
that determines your fate before God. It is one thing. Having the Son of God, he who has the Son has life. Christian, when doubts and fears assault you about your state before God, remember these verses. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the, li- has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You have the Son, and you have life. You can count on it. The testimony has been given by God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus' life and death and resurrection, the prophets, John's personal testimony, and those of others in your own changed life all testify to the truth. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for this tremendous promise that you have given us. He who has the Son of God has life. I pray that you would encourage your people today with that amazing truth, Lord. I pray for anyone here today, either in person or through the live stream who does not have the Son yet, that today would be the day that they would reach out and take hold of you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.